Hello and welcome to this episode of the PE podcast. My name is Jack Jacob and I am your host. In this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with the healthcare leader, Sir Thomas Hughes Hallett, who is the chairman of Chelsea and Westminster NHS Trust. Sir Tom is also the founder and chair of Helpforce. Sir Tom gives a fascinating account of his life and career journey. He admits to having a very privileged life and being lucky to attend some of the world's most prestigious institutions, including Eton College and Oxford University. On a gap year from university, he lived in Zimbabwe for a year, teaching in the first mixed race school. And we discussed how this was possibly what set the scene for his passion of volunteering and charity work later in his life and career. Sir Tom spent his early career as a barrister and then moving into investment banking. Sir Tom felt there was more to give and decided for the last few decades of his career to really giving back. Firstly, heading up Marie Curie Cancer Care as their CEO, to then going on to setting up a number of charitable organisations himself. This episode really offers a unique view on leadership, work and life from someone that has worked in both the fast-paced world of investment banking someone that also has led major charitable initiatives and healthcare organizations. Please do enjoy this episode as we get to know the person behind the job title. This episode of the p podcast is sponsored by the Virtual HPN Expo. The Virtual HPN Expo will be taking place across the 17th and 18th of November on a state-of-the-art virtual events platform. The event will be CPD accredited and will host over 1,000 delegates across the two days. There'll be 40 exhibitors, 80 speakers addressing one main auditorium room and four breakout theatres with the exhibitors being hosted across four exhibition zones. There'll be key themes around health inequalities, diversity and inclusion, workforce and well-being, AI and RPA, telehealth and virtual care and improvement and innovation. We'll also be touching upon culture and leadership. To register as a delegate or to inquire about exhibiting, please visit our website, which is www.virtualhpnexpo.com. So Tom, it's uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for um, spending some time with me this morning. It's my pleasure. So look, I just want to cover um, you know, some of your, your journey, really, and, and um, from, from your early life to, to now. And so... I think it makes sense then to start with with your kind of your childhood and, and and where you grew up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a very happy childhood. Um, I was born in Norfolk, uh, and um, uh, my father uh, was a um, was like like a farm manager, uh, except he managed estates for people. Um, so I was born in an I was brought up in an agricultural setting. Um, and it was pretty blissful um, with uh, a brother and a sister in Oxfordshire. Uh, and my dad only ever had two jobs uh, in his entire life. And he worked from 21 until he was 77. Uh, and both jobs were in the Cotswolds. So one was looking after a big estate called Cornbury, where there's yeah. now a festival. Uh, and the other was um, uh, one, of the, one of the most beautiful uh, Arboretum and farms. So it was a lovely life working on the farms. Um, I didn't. I was terrified of horses, so I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, but uh, it was a it was a idyllic childhood. Yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Uh, see, I always I love that farm smell. 
um you know when you walk into a farm and it's it's a, it's a smell that you can never mistake is it and uh i think it's real you know that that the most natural smell out there you know you walk into a farm and, and you know where you are um and, and they're kind of setting you in when you when you smell that smell um so t- talk to you about schooling then because um because you went to eton um and, and what was that like as an experience for you um what was it like? Well, it was a very obviously a very privileged life, uh, wearing some pretty unusual clothes. Uh, we had to wear tails every day, a tailcoat and sort of stripy trousers. Um, a bit like butter, and, but it is an amazing school. So I got used to um, uh, a, a school that. Uh, have been around since the 15th century uh, and with a lot of the buildings that were of great age. Um, made a lot of friends um, who stayed with me for life um, and um, it wasn't a very snobby place. I think it probably has a sort of very snobby ring to it. It was a very privileged place but its great skill was giving people confidence and the space to work out what they could be good at. Yeah, um, and I wasn't a natural games player. I was pretty. I was good at tennis, but nothing else. Uh, and what I discovered was an absolute love of choral singing. Uh, and again, that stayed with me for the whole of the rest of my life. Amazing. So I was in every choir, going and learning, learning instruments, and um, yeah, no, it was fantastic. No, oh, lovely, lovely. And, and then you, um, from Eton, you went on to to Oxford, um, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And, and again, yep. what was that like going from a pretty, pretty, uh, prestigious school um, to then yeah. the, the, probably the most prestigious um, university in the world? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it, 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 it was a huge privilege again, you know. Um, I, I really love old buildings. And um, as I've already said to you, I love music. Mm. So every night of the week, um, I sung even song uh, in in the choir. I was a choral scholar. Uh, uh, sounds very grand. It wasn't at all. Um, and fell in love disastrously on a number of occasions. Um, <laughs> and um, thoroughly enjoyed my degree. I mean, the university the university was slightly split into people in those days who went there for a good time and those who went there to learn. And I tried to do both, um, uh, and um, yeah, it was a one a wonderful, wonderful three years. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And, and and then I read that you spent some time in Zimbabwe as well. What was that like as an experience for you, yeah. going from you know grand yeah. buildings like you know in Oxford and and, and in Eton and so on to mm. then um, a yeah. country that that you know um, isn't isn't grand and, and most people aren't privileged. Yeah. What was that like as as yeah. the contrast for you? Well, it was my gap year, and um, so I was there for nearly a year, teaching in the first mixed race school in what was then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Yeah. And I sometimes describe it as as the best year of my life. I I grew up, um, I bought a pale blue uh, 1940s Ford uh, and tootled round, uh, worked really well actually, tootled round uh, dirt roads uh, in this country called Ermintrude uh, and covered in stickers, which um, 
uh, and um, uh, there were no girls around, so there was no fun to be had. They were all in South Africa. Uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty odd place, Zimbabwe, actually. But I loved the teaching and I loved the experience. And of course, it's a beautiful country, beautiful country, to which terrible things have happened since. Mm, mm. It's, it's uh, my mum was, was actually born in Rhodesia. Why she? Yeah. Why she? Why she? Um, so they, so my grandma, uh, grandma, and my granddad um, moved out uh, out there for. I think my granddad got a job um, out there and then my mum and my auntie were born um, in Rhodesia and then they spent some time in, I think they, I think it was around the time just before it really kind of kicked off out there and they moved into South Africa and then back to England. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah but well, I've, I've never been, I don't, I don't know time. if my mum's been back actually since. So um, that's, uh, that's definitely uh, on the to-do list to go and visit that country in my lifetime. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so, so, so how was that as your, cause I know that you're super passionate about volunteering and, and giving now and, and, mm. um, and those kind of good things. Mm. Um, would you say that Zimbabwe work was your first kind of real exposure to volunteering and, and kind of giving back? I hadn't thought of it that way before, but I think you might be right actually. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, I, I I wouldn't want you to think I'm a sort of um, lifetime goody-goody. Uh, as we'll come on to, I was a horrible capitalist for really rather for most of my working life. Um, but I do think that um, you might be right. You might be right. I'd never thought about it that way before, but certainly there I learned that by putting a lot into things, you get a lot back. Yeah, indeed. So, so talk to me about your career then, because, um, you know, we, we spoke off air actually about how your, your career has gone from, you know, what, what, you know, okay, excusing the barrister part of it, but, but the investment banking side of things that, you know, from the outside world, probably seen as quite a greedy role and, and, and money grabbing and those kind of things to then working as the CEO for, um, you know, major charities and, and then really kind of committing your life from the early 2000s or from, from about 2000 to, to really giving back and doing good and really pushing, um, um, not within those organizations, but actually across the UK and in politics for, for, for um, better um, or, or easier access to giving money and, and, and uh, to charitable work and so on. So, so talk me about through your career and, and, and how that kind of, that flip of, of your career happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, perhaps we'll talk more about the latter than the former, but as far as the former is concerned, I mean, I trained as a barrister. I didn't enjoy it very much. I found it very lonely. Um, I found my fellow barristers were um, incredibly intro- introvert, not introvert, sorry, inward looking. Okay. Uh, most, most conversations started with the judge told me that I'd done a wonderful summary at the trial. Uh, and they'd never seemed to talk about their clients. It was always about themselves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So I left quite quickly. And by then I'd fallen in love and my wife and I uh, wanted to get married and she was supporting me. Um, and male pride, I think, got the better of me. Um, and so I went into the city really to earn some money, actually. Um, not to make a lot of money, but to earn some money because I wasn't earning any money at the bar. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and it was fun, you know, it was, um, it was slightly the days of the Wild West in the 1980s. They were the sort of 
the golden years of excitement in the city. Um, things were getting more regulated, but uh, it was all about deals and uh, Europe was growing uh, in importance. And um, I was part of a group of people who started an investment bank in 1982. Um, backed by Swedish money, and it became extremely successful. Um, I don't think because we were good at the job, I think it was much more that our timing was immaculate. Right. And we were, we were all incredibly young. We were all in our 20s, uh, a couple in their 30s, but we were very, very young. And we were entrepreneurial. We had no idea what we were doing. Uh, and that was very helpful because it, it meant that we could do what we thought was right. Um, from, I don't mean right in a sort of ethical way. I mean right in terms of building a business yep. uh, rather than doing it the way it had been done before. So we, we were pioneers in many ways. Um, and also I, I, within the business, I started a new business, which was the securities business. It was a research business for European equities. And I spotted, again, by accident, but it paid off, uh, that it was very difficult for, for um, women to do well in the city. So I recruited mostly, uh, uh, I was able to recruit very talented young women. Um, and um, although the firm was called Enskilda, in the city it was known as St. Hilda's, uh, because I'd recruited so many women. <laughs> and, and that really worked. And then, um, uh, but we worked 24 seven, round the clock, uh, made a lot of money, uh, but paid the price. And in 1990, um, I had a mental collapse, basically. Um, um, as much through exhaustion, I was flying four days a week. I was never at home. I never saw my children. I never saw my wife. Um, and it was a partial wake up. Uh, and so I left, but then I was running what was the 12th biggest bank in Britain. Um, and I realized that it was a mistake. I, I was, didn't think I was very good at it any longer. Uh, and so I jumped ship and spent seven years working for an established British investment bank in a job with the benefit of hindsight, which I don't think I was very good at and which I didn't enjoy very much, although I loved the place. It was a really nice firm. Um, and so I began to acquire an interest in other things. Uh, and at that stage, um, started to work for two charities uh, as chairman. One was the Michael Palin Center for Stammering Children. Uh, and my son is a stammerer, my youngest son. Uh, and, and then I was asked if I'd come and help rescue uh, the largest housing association ever to go into supervision, which was called the English Churches Housing Group. Okay. And I went in as their chair. And then and from that, I never looked back. And when the bank was sold in 1999, um, I acquired capital because I was a shareholder. Uh, and I thought, right, that's it. Um, and my wife said, you seem to enjoy what you do in the evening so much more than you do in the day, what you do in the day. Why don't you do something your children can be proud of? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And, um, and that was it. That was the life-changing moment. Yeah. And, and, and so, Bo, you, you said before about, um, you know, 
you you wasn't spending much time at home. You was traveling a lot. Um, you 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 wasn't spending much time with your children. Um, do you feel that it was you know that that time in nineteen ninety nine when when um, when the when the, the bank was sold and 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 you kind of drew out that that the capital that you had in um, the shares and so on. Um, do you feel like that was the, almost like the perfect time where you could just now um, you know reflect on what you've achieved in your in your kind of career um and and start giving back but also start giving back to your family and spending more time at home and, and that kind of stuff or, or or did you get really stuck into the work with the charities and uh yeah <laughs> well the, the answer to both is yes because the, the great thing is i was lucky enough um to become chief executive of Marie curie and um i I don't actually think I thought I wanted to do less. I mean, I'm 66 in a week's time, and I, I still don't feel really I want to do less. Um, um, but I want to do different, and and, and 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 I want to do different again now. But then, I was, you know, I was only 46. So I wasn't ready to stop mm. um, le I, leading. Um, um, and um, so, yes, I threw myself body and soul into it, but, but, but I also balanced my life way better. Right. Um, so, and of course, I didn't have to travel except to places I'd never been before, which were called Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England. And because our entire business had been overseas, uh, and I discovered that I loved it. I loved getting on the train in the morning and going up to Newcastle and meeting people from Tyneside and um, I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Loved the job. How, how was that? Because it, it, it's not, it's not, an, there's not an obvious path from kind of, um, uh, you know, investment banker to then, um, you know, the CEO of a huge charity, you know, and, and, yeah. and a, and yeah. a charity that, that is so well known um, mm. and, and does so much good work. So, you know, how how did that job how did you approach kind of um applying for that job or or being being spoken about going into that role what what was that that conversation like uh well in terms of applying for it uh, i never thought i'd get it yeah um um and um but i did wonder whether i didn't know but i thought possibly the skills that i'd acquired in the city were transferable um in terms of raising money, you know, yep. that's what you do in the city, it's what you do in charities. Of course. Uh, in terms of um, productivity and efficiency, and I sort of guessed that a wonderful organization like Marie Curie could probably be more productive and efficient. Um, and indeed, while I was there, we significantly reduced the number of people who worked for us. I mean, really significantly. Right. Um, and dramatically increased the amount of care we provided and the amount of money we raised. So I was right about that. Uh, and bringing, um, I'm afraid, um, tough love to the organization. Um, and some basic things that, uh, that really struck me about the charity sector at the time, which was the char charity sector then, and perhaps even now, actually, has this preponderance for recruiting people from outside. 
Uh, and actually, the NHS is not dissimilar. It, it's got this sort of obsession with advertising to bring in people to the top jobs. Well, why did you grow your own? Mm. Uh, and so I, 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 I say goodbye to most of the board of Marie Curie. Um, but, I, but every single person who then became a director was still there when I left 12 years later with one exception. And they, with, again, with one exception, they were all internal promotions. Incredible. So, um, so um, yeah, it was, but no, I was like a, I was like a child with playing with toys. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't believe how lucky I was. It was such a wonderful organization. Mm. Um, and this is going to sound incredibly patronizing, but for the first time in my life, I was working with real people who really cared and wanted to do something extraordinary, uh, which was to improve the lives of people who were dying. And mm. um, there yeah. was no going back after that. I couldn't yeah. possibly work in the city and I'd hate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, just, just going back a bit as well, you know, you mentioned before about, you know, you, you had a, you know, a mental breakdown and, and you suffered mm -hmm. with, with kind of mental health um, issues. And that was 1990, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I can't imagine that many people, well, you know, mental health wasn't a public um thing then was it or, or no one advocated good mental health no one um spoke about resilience and looking after yourself and uh, and being positive and um and, and and those kind of good things that are so heavily spoken about today and 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 you know positive affirmations gratitude and and those mm -hmm. kind of things um what what was that like with you trying to deal with that because you know you, you had a very senior role within um an organization that potentially could have seen that as a as a weakness and 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 did you have to kind of deal with that in a certain way uh we were a very close team um and um they were extraordinarily good to me um at the time uh i mean sorry they always were but i mean at that <laughs> yeah the, the, the tea, yeah my colleagues were very good to me i took six months off um i i think they recognized as i did that it was almost an inevitable consequence of the amount of work um as it happened um two of my colleagues died very young and i i think that i think it took its toe on all of us and in a way i was lucky you know i got away with panic attacks basically mm. um, um uh in terms of talking to future employers about it, I, I told them at interview. So Marie Curie, I told them at my interview. I didn't talk about it publicly at all um, at that time. Um, uh, that came much later on. Um, uh, was I embarrassed by it? No. I thought about it in the way you might think about flu or perhaps a disability. Um, uh, but um, I don't think anyone was terribly interested, frankly. Uh, and I didn't particularly want to talk about myself. Um, but then it became more interesting the more senior I became, in a way, because I suddenly realized I had an asset rather than a liability. Yeah. 
uh, and the asset was very simple, which was that it, it, it was something I could give uh, to other people, which was evidence that you can have had a mental problem, continue to have it, um, and, um, uh, and succeed. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and so, um, so I, I kind of, for me, it's a bit of a badge of honor now. I, I'm sort of, um, I don't mean, I don't mean badge of honor in the sense of, you know, I've done okay despite having that. I, I actually think of it as an asset, you know, as a, that I, that I, I should share with other people actually. Yeah. As long as I don't bore them. I think, I think I've done my sharing, by the way. I, I sort of feel that a lot of people are talking about it now. So there's less of a need now. Whereas yeah. when I first started talking about it, which must be 10 years, 15 years ago now, um, people were quite surprised that I was prepared to. Yeah, I, I, again, I can imagine because even 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't mm. something that was, uh, it was spoken about or... You know, did I know what anxiety, you know, so 15 years ago, I would have been, what, 10, 11. Mm. Um, would I have known what anxiety was back then? I, I don't think I would have. Um, no. um, I don't know. I don't know if I would have known about what mental health was or mental health challenges. Um, you know, there was, um, yeah, the, the world changed, hasn't it, a lot since then. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, and, and, I, and I get what you mean about the asset thing. I think, I think, you know, one thing that I take away from that is that, you know, you can now resonate with people, right, about it, and you can and, and you can really, and I suppose you can help prevent um, other people from going through it through your experiences and and, and understand yeah. kind of the, um, the 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 lead ups to that kind of um, challenges and, and 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 you can be quite tough with them too, which is where one can help. You know, I mean, if you if you were saying to me, you know, I'm I'm not working because. Um, I'm getting panic attacks and we were sitting together I'd say God poor old you um, that's a nightmare I mean first of all you know have you been to a psychiatrist and press you on that and push you on that and you'd say no I've been to a therapist I say well has that done you any good yeah a bit yeah but I'm still getting them and I say well look it's it's like flu you know it's a nightmare but it is curable um, go and see a psychiatrist there's no shame in it you know I have and I still take the same drug. And I mean, I think the psychiatrists of Britain owe me a favor because I'm constantly referring people to <laughs> uh, Because therapy is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you need some chemicals too. And I yeah. take a healthy dose of chemicals every morning of my life. Prescribed I chemicals, I hasten to add. Yeah, yeah. To clarify, to clarify, <laughs> um, makes sense. Let, let's move on a little bit because I, I want to talk about. Um, you know, I read some some really interesting quotes um, from yourself that you've said on on videos or in interviews and so on. And one of them was, "Nothing in life really matters." Mm. Um, what What did you mean by that? Because I thought that was a, a really interesting um, point that you made. Well, it's linked actually. Um, well, I'm a terrible worrier. Uh, and it's taken me 60 odd years to realize that quite a lot of what we worry about, as in 95%, it, it's just not worth it. 
Mm. You know, if if there's something at work that's troubling you and keeping you awake, and you know, if you just ask yourself, does this really matter? I mean, or, or if you think, um, oh, I don't know, that you're not going to get the job you wanted or you're not going to get the promotion you wanted, it's not the end of the world. And in fact, I mean, I also believe in fate. I I I do think that sometimes there is someone somewhere with a steering wheel uh, who who that thing that's worrying you and troubling you and keeping you awake and it, you're better without it because there's lots of good stuff out there that um, can occupy your mind in a different way. By the way, I'm not very good at this myself. That that's why it's if you like I, I talk about it a lot yeah yeah of course. because I do I do worry a lot and it does keep me awake and um, uh, it, I, I remind myself of it all the time mm. um, you know focus on what matters I mean the NHS is not without politics yeah yeah and sometimes it troubles me you know I worry about where I'm placed in that or where the hospital's placed in that but it doesn't matter you know, all that matters is our patients. Mm. Um, and um, so um, I, 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 I think it's just worth remembering that sometimes. And if something is really worrying you, focusing on uh, things that do matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, because I was going to talk about kind of your, your dislike of politics and, and, you know, and I find, and actually, I think yeah. one thing that, that COVID's done for the NHS is helped remove a lot of the politics and bureaucracy and the red tape that, it, That's true. that, that exists um, on whether it be the you know, purchasing decisions or getting things done and, 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 and so on. So, um, yeah, you know, do you resonate with that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Hold on. I'm sorry about this signal. That's okay. No worries. No, it's, it's okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, you know, I think that, that you know, like I said, one thing that I think COVID's done is, is, is around, you know, the removal of those politics and, and, and made decisions perhaps easier to make. Um, talk, talk to me about kind of leadership then, because I know that you're passionate about, you know, inspiring people by leadership and, and how important that, that is. Um, what would you say your leadership style is? Well, I try to lead by example, uh, and um, that hasn't always helped me because I've always been the person who's first in and last out. Uh, and I think that was one of the reasons I had the problems that I did have. So it's had to be amended, if you like. Um, so I'm always very open with people. Uh, I think people are more likely to want to work for you if you tell them what's going through your mind and uh, and they're more likely to follow you. Um, in the NHS, we talk a lot about confidentiality, which of course is relevant when it comes to patients, but in my view is largely irrelevant in every other respect. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. It does make sense. Uh, um, so um, I spend a lot of time thanking people. Uh, in a large organization, that's hard work, but it's worth every ounce you put into it. So um, I write a lot of personal letters to staff in the NHS to thank them for what they're doing and uh, 
know, if they get an award or whatever. Um, I'm a great believer in management by walking about. So, um, I, and of course, that stopped. That, that worries me a lot, actually. Um, COVID's put an end to that, and I'm not allowed to walk around our hospital any longer. Uh, and I miss it terribly. Uh, I don't see the patients, I don't see the staff, and I think you lose touch quite quickly. So um, I, I'm, um, I, I'm only quite keen on the new habit of working from home. Um, I think it has a lot of advantages, and I think it has many, many disadvantages that large companies are going to come to regret. And I, I do anticipate strongly that this will lead to increased mental health issues in the workforce. I'm absolutely convinced about it. Mm. People sit at home, becoming paranoid, not being able to read the body language, um, not being able to give each other a hug. Yeah, you can't do that at the moment anyway, but no. um, I think people are going to miss it all a lot. And it's very short-sighted because how are you going to recruit people? How are people who are recruited then going to feel part of the team? Um, and um, I, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about it, actually. Yeah. Sorry, I've gone off track. but um, No, 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 not, not at all. Not at all. I, I think it's a really important point you made. And I, I think and I, and I completely resonate with that because, you know, the only time that I would say that I've you know, really suffered mentally um, well, I, le I left a job once um, um, in, a, in a company that was, you know, quite a vibrant office. Um, lots of people around me that were my age, lots of, you know, banter and, and, and kind of um, that kind of camaraderie and, and that, that team spirit. Um, I, I basically went to then a competitor um, um, uh, and when I left that job and, and they were based in Leeds. I didn't, and I didn't want to work in the city. I, I, I'm, I'm based down um, in, in West Sussex. And I didn't want to travel into the city every day. It just, it just doesn't appeal to me. Um, and, uh, and so I thought, well, you know, this, this company was quite small and quite young and, I, and there was an opportunity to work with them and work from home. And um, I'd done it for about eight months. And I, it, 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 it almost paralyzed me in the sense that I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do anything productive uh, half the time, you know, it was, and then, you know, I would, I would, I then eventually got um, a job, uh, sorry, uh, 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 like a co-working space. Um, um, but because I was on the phone the whole time and it was a lot of, you know, techies and, and developers and graphic designers and stuff, again, they just stuck me in a room on my own because my, my phone was telephone based and I couldn't really be in the co-working space around people on the telephone and I, and, and I look back and I, and I, sometimes I couldn't remember the drive home because I was so yeah. you know, <laughs> just mentally drained. Um, yeah. And, uh, and actually, you know, I'm pleased it happened because it, it, it's part of my journey and, and it's part of where I am today. And, and it was, and it was me then leaving that job to then start partnership network events um, and, and start this business that, that you know and, and and that was actually part of the reason that um you know like i said I, I wanted to stay in the industry that i was in but i didn't want to travel to the city to to be in it and so i thought well you know i, I know that i can do this and, and i've proved that i can do it now um but um 
yeah, it was, it was, it was the start of me starting my business. So, um, you know, I think, you know, good things can come out of these situations if you, um, if you realize it early enough. And, and I certainly did realize that it was not good for my mental health to, 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 to not yeah. be around people and, and so on. But at the same time, in the same breath, um, where I've now been, you know, three years into running a business and so on, I actually quite enjoyed the two, three months from working at home during COVID because it allowed me not to have any distractions and it allowed me to, yeah. uh, to yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. To get on with, with what that. I wanted I to do. Yeah. 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 And it's lots of advantages. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Before we wrap this up, I, I just want to ask you a, a few bits about, you know, um, you know, your, your, your personal life and, and what you do to kind of relax. You know, you've got a job where you've got, um, or, you know, you, you're the chairman of, of Chelsea and Westminster, uh, NHS foundation trust. It's, uh, uh, a role with huge prejudice as, as well as your non-exec director at uh, a few other organizations as well. Um, what, what do you do to relax and unwind? What, what's, what, what does, uh, what do you do as, as kind of a hobby? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm quite good at it now is the answer to that, <laughs> uh, which I used to be absolutely dreadful at it, but I'm quite good at it now. And I, um, so, uh, you know, I mean, you know, particular order and it's not exactly relaxing this first one but uh, I started this charity help force two years ago three years ago now um, to support the NHS with volunteering and um, it has been a, a comparative success uh, and again the timing was right rather like with the investment bank um, and that gives me an enormous amount of pleasure. Now, it is work, let's be quite clear about that, but I'm not the chief executive, I'm the founder. Um, and that does help me to, to relax, actually. Um, and I'm about to get stuck into a project working for the organisation I founded in Brent uh, and in Hounslow, really supporting some of the most disadvantaged people in our health system. Um, through volunteering. So that helps. Yep. Um, but I don't think that was your question, really. I mean, the thing that more traditional relaxation, um, I love gardening. Um, and I really love it. And I like the physical work uh, as much as the sort of looking at the pretty flowers and the delicious vegetables. I, I do like the hard work of hoeing and raking and um, become quite anal about it, actually. Um, and so um, we have a cottage in Suffolk and it's turned from being a field 30 years ago into being a living garden now and that, that gives me a great deal of pleasure. Um, I told you I was obsessed by choral music so um, I listen to it a lot. Um, I support one particular choir as a bit of a groupie. Uh, it's called the Sixteen. And it's one of the best choirs literally in the world. Um, I mean, there's wow. no way I could ever have qualified to sing in it. But I love <laughs> listening to it. I help them raise money. Uh, they very kindly sang at my daughter's wedding. And then finally, after six to six years, I've discovered that I love my grandchildren. And I never spent any time with my own children. So I'm, I'm catching up now. And uh, I find them exhausting, but they give me a great deal of pleasure. Uh, and we've just had three weeks with um, both of them, and um, that, that's that's good. And I read a lot. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, and my darling brother, who died last year, 
uh, he, he likewise was a voracious reader and it was kind of a, uh, it was kind of a book club, the two of us recommending um, either works of intellect to each other or cracking good thrillers. Um, my, my sister is a very successful author and so we never told her about the thrillers. We only told her about the uh, books of intellect that we were yeah. reading. So, um, yeah. 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 And I love talking to people. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I can't really remember why I said I do this call. And in fact, um, or how you, how we met in the first place, virtually. Um, but um, when I saw it was in my diary this morning, I thought that's really interesting. You know, I don't know who Jack Jacob is, but I'm going to find out, and I'm really looking forward to it. So um, I, I'm, I, I love, I love that. And then the final thing is, um, I do like helping people who are younger than me. Uh, and I find that very relaxing, which is, you know, if you're struggling in your career or whatever, you, you know, you might ring me up, you know, in two years time and say, do you remember we did that podcast together? I'm a bit stuck. I'm not quite sure what to do with my life. And I, can I come and have a cup of tea with you? And I, I do quite a bit of that, of helping people of all ages, but predominantly younger people. Um, well, I'll definitely through. take you up on that offer. <laughs> think through what they're going to do next in their lives so. indeed no indeed well that's that's uh that's a really yeah really nicely put and and um some 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 lovely things there and and some certainly some things that, that i resonate with um and uh yeah no it's uh been great the only last thing i haven't asked you about actually which i wanted to cover um so 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 you're the first knighted person you're the first sir that i've ever spoken to um <laughs> um but what, what was that like as an experience um being oh, knighted? wonderful Wonderful. Proudest um, moment in your career, would you say? Of, of you, course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. And, and with only one deep regret, uh, which was uh, that my mum wasn't alive to, to see it happen. My father was, um, but he was uh, in, a, in a nursing home. And I mean, I told him I'd be knighted, but he, he didn't. I don't think he even registered. But my mum would have been so proud and um and it was an it was an it was an amazing moment and an amazing ceremony and i was lucky enough to be knighted by the queen so i, yeah, thought, I saw we're, we're 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 slightly different heights uh, with no disrespect to her majesty <laughs> so, <laughs> uh so um and i hadn't really i you know i'd never met her before i i uh, i hadn't realized um that um I'm rather taller than her. <laughs> and my father used to work for her right at the beginning of his career. Um, he trained as a farm manager uh, at Sandringham. In fact, I was born at Sandringham uh, in, a, in a cottage uh, in 1954. Um, so I told her, I said, Mum, uh, my dad used to work for you. Uh, and she was rather fat. She was um, she was nice enough to say um, that was interesting. So, yeah. no, it was amazing, and and it, and it is um, it is life changing uh, in the sense that it. Marie Curie loved it. You know, the organisation loved the fact that their chief executive uh, was being knighted. You know, it it lifted the whole organisation. Of course. Um, because uh, did I deserve it? Probably not. But um, because after all, I was only doing a paid job. 
Um, but, um, but from the organization's point of view, it was richly deserved, even though I received it. And I think everyone in the organization took it as a compliment that we, Marie Curie, had done a good job for the nation and our chief executive was being knighted. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Well, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Can I ask you a question? How did you get hold of me? I can't, I can't, so, I can't remember. So um, we were introduced by Jonathan Lofthouse um, um, about a year ago. Um, you were due to um, to deliver a keynote at um, That's right. Online, um, That's right. Last That's November, right. but I think it's it around the time, time your brother died. It was. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It was exactly at that time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so... Um, so yeah, so I think um, so. I, I think uh, Jonathan um, has worked with you previously, um, yep. and then um, he made an intro. He was chairing the event. He made an intro to um, to your okay. team, um, yep. and, uh, and 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 obviously, you know, unfortunately that that happened, and and, and we hadn't worked together. But um, I believe you'll be uh, delivering a keynote at our event in uh, our virtual event uh, in November around. Yeah, well, I look forward to it. Yeah, no, um, as do I, as do I. But um, no, it's been it's been a real pleasure, and it's been great to get to know Not the person sure. behind the job title. Okay, and sorry about the noises off. I hadn't planned them, but there. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of the PE podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure that you share this episode via your social media channels, as it really does help us to gain traction in promoting this podcast series. Please make sure that you also subscribe to the channel that you're listening via, as you'll then get notifications as soon as we release our next podcast episode. Thank you.